Israel's residents get their income cut in half, therefore the kingdoms of Israel get cut in half, and Elijah cuts the prophets of Baal in half. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors at Gospel Community Church here in Santa Cruz, California. Mm-hmm. Quick reminder to like and subscribe and follow and comment and all those good stuff so that the gospel goes out and actually do that stuff. Just don't ignore what I'm talking about right now. Actually like, subscribe, comment, do it. It's awesome. It's for the glory of God. And for the glory of the algorithm. Yes, yes, the glory yeah. of the algorithm for uh, so whatever platforms stuff, we host yeah. on or they host us on. And yeah, yes, that's the new Lord we worship, uh, unfortunately, in our world today. But <laughs> what are we uh, talking about today? We're talking about um, First Kings. the the The, the kingdom is going to be split, as you said, and then we look at Elijah's ministry. Ah, uh, Elijah, what a great Elijah, not Elisha. Yeah, yeah, okay. Elijah, Just clarity there for Elisha, for those of you yeah. who are first reading the Bible. I wish there was like a way to remember that, but. I don't know. J, J comes before S. There you go. Boom. Easy. 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 Okay. So, um, do you want to just jump in? Let's just. Well, we got. We got. No, we got to review. We have to review. Oh, sorry. Okay. We have to because if we don't review, people are just going to be lost. Some. Let's be honest. We're doing daily gospel, following along with the New Testament year reading in a uh, Bible reading in a year, and let's be honest. Some of you have fallen off your reading schedules, and you need to get jump back in. So, oh, in order for you to jump back in smoothly, we want to do a little recap for you. So, where are we at in the story right now? Okay, so we've we've been looking at the the monarchy, which started under well, it started with Saul first. Uh, he was sort of the test run, the anti king, right. so to speak, the foil to David, the mm-hmm. true king, the shepherd. Um, but David, as we see, even though he's given this promise by God, this mm-hmm. incredible covenant that there will be a king or a, a son of his that will sit on the throne of God forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy will build his house, give him a name, all these things. David still fails. Mm-hmm. He fails with Bathsheba, and it leads to the disintegration of his own family. Um, there's multiple deaths in his family. There's right. there's civil wars, yep. plural. There's, I mean, just so many mistakes that he makes. Um, and But he passes his legacy on to Solomon, mm, son, yeah. who takes out... I mean, just like David, he has such a hope-filled beginning. Right. There is so much hope in his leadership because there's there's wealth, there's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Solomon is is incredibly wise to ask for wisdom from God instead right. of asking for all the things he could have asked for. Right. And so God gives to him... I mean, it's really the golden age mm-hmm. of the, the kingdom of Israel. And so he... He reigns, but he fails. At the end of his reign, he well, he well throughout his reign, he has you know a thousand wives, seven hundred <laughs> wives, yep. three hundred concubines. So lots of of women, <laughs> a lot of them foreign women who lead him into idolatry. Mm. So we see at the end of his reign that he forsakes God by chasing after idols and by building temples to idols. Mm. So this guy who wrote, I mean, big portions of scripture, right, is turning after idols, and God sends a prophet to him to say. The kingdom's going to be split in two mm-hmm. after you're gone, right? And so that's going to happen here under King Rehoboam. Mm-hmm. So that's what we, we pick up. So, so Solomon's son Rehoboam is taking the throne, and he's going to mess things up in a huge way. Yeah, unfortunately, and we get this continued theme. Unfortunate that the kings are not good kings, right? Yeah. And you see some glimmers of hope, like I mean, even David, who's like I think. Historically, like even in the context of reading here, it like first and second kings, like David was like the a good king, you know? Yep. And even he messed up, right? So we just see like again that downward spiral like we've seen in judges of the kingdom of Israel and its rulers, and it's 
It's a sad story, but we will make it lighthearted for you in some sense. So. Oh, there's there's so much interesting stuff here. Some some stuff we can have a fun time with, mm-hmm. um, but also, I mean, just uh, the the story here. It is a very tragic one. It's going to end in Second Kings with the exile of Israel. Yeah, um, but we won't we won't actually get there as much. So this week and next week we're going to go through the the rest of First and Second Kings, which, as we said, is one book mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. Um, but we're going to focus on the prophetic ministry, mm-hmm. which is very prominent in First and Second Kings. Yeah, um, we see a lot about the prophets. Mm-hmm. So we're going to focus on Elijah this week mm-hmm. and go up to the beginning of Second Kings, and then we'll focus on Elisha, mm-hmm. his his uh, uh, what do you call it? His protege. Yeah, his successor, disciple, disciple, disciple. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> next week, and then we're going to we're going to look more at the actual kings when we get to First and Second Chronicles, mm. because there's a danger here of if we go through every single bit of material in First Kings, then we'll be having a lot of review when we get to First and Second Chronicles, right? Which because is there's a lot of yeah, just a little boring. Right? We'll we'll, fi- well, and we'll talk about why that's important. That there's the se- the separate book that tells all the same things or a lot of the same things as these books. Hmm. So don't worry, we'll get there. It actually makes a lot of sense. It's really it's really incredible. But we're going to focus primarily on the prophets and their ministry because what you're going to see in First Second Kings is. There, the 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 shape of the history is being controlled by the prophetic word mm-hmm. over and over again. Yeah, exactly. A prophet says something and God fulfills it, and so this is this pattern that's at work, and it's really drawn out in First Kings. Right. Yeah. The, the sovereignty and the control of God in His plan, but also just like the power of God's word. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So. Awesome. Well, I think it's time to get into it. Great. We on chapter twelve or something like that. We're in chapter twelve. That's right. So, awesome. chapter twelve, we see Solomon has died and wisdom has died with him. <sighs> there is no more wisdom Solomon. left. Rehoboam is a fool, and um, this happens because of the control of God. But Rehoboam has an option to listen to the advisors of his father, these older men, yep. these wise men, or to listen to his friends, mm-hmm. young guys who. They really kind of sell him a bag of goods that reminds me of Absalom mm-hmm. and the, that temptation from Absalom with Hushai yeah. versus Ahithophel. And he, in verses 10 and 11, basically what the older men say is, hey, we got to ease up on people. <laughs> They've been carrying a heavy load under Solomon. I mean, Solomon exacted a lot of money from them. Right. He had high taxes. Under um, Rehoboam, they say, hey, let's, let's, let's you know, pull that back. Let's be gracious to them. Start off on a good foot. So people know that you're for them, not that you're going to oppress them. Mm-hmm. And the, the young men say, verse 10, um, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lightened it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger <laughs> this, is this thicker funny. than my father's thighs. <laughs> um, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with, with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Oh, so he's like, yeah, little finger... My father's thigh. I'm I'm beefy. I'm strong. I'm I'm huge, um, and I'm going to be so harsh and over the top with you. I'm going to punish you with scorpions. That sounds pretty messed up. Sounds like a great king. Sounds like you know what? That sounds like a place I want to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oppression. Bring it on. Yeah, it's I love great. That. That's great. Just make us more thick skinned. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, a couple a couple of faults of Rehoboam here. One, of course, is obvious. He listens to the young men instead of the old men. <laughs> Which is basically, that's basically American culture. I, w- I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. It's like, why don't we just take all the 16-year-olds, maybe we can do 14 to 18 years old, how about even that, and we'll just have them dictate all the policy and taxes and social issues of the age. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- and that's how people work, right? Instead of, like, if people want insight on religion, 
they're not going to go listen to you know John MacArthur sermon. That's like an hour long. It's, right. That's too hard. I'm going to go on TikTok, and yep. in 10 seconds, someone's going to tell me something, and that's going to shape my entire way of thinking. Some idiot who's never been to, to school or never. You know, it's like that's kind of where we get our, our wisdom is in sound bites and from people that are in our generation that speak in a way that we appreciate instead mm. of going to older, wiser people. Yeah. I mean, that, that value of the elderly is completely gone in our culture. Yeah, completely gone. I mean, we've talked about that before, but... Um, like, I value you because you're so much older than me, you know? Yes. We don't need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. For the record, I am a little bit older than uh, Brandon here. That's right. How old are you? I forgot how old I was this year, I'm 32. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so 33. I think 33, yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's good, man. Good yeah. for you. So, but the other thing they do wrong is what you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> right? The other thing that Ray Bum does wrong is what you mentioned, which was... Taxation, baby. That's right. Yeah. High taxes. And here we actually get, it's pretty cool. The Bible is so relevant. Even something written so long ago, it's still so relevant to us today. Here in 1 Kings, we have definitive proof that high taxation is never a good thing. Yeah. Never. At least a division. Yep. Completely just destroy this, this nation, right? And it just draining people of all of their work. Mm. That's a bad thing. Of course, I'm sure people will disagree on what is high and what is low. I mean, I think our... I think we mentioned this before, but our, our nation began off of like a 5% tax, right? <laughs> like the Revolutionary War was fought over like a 5% tax. So, yeah, and I think that, we'd all be... Now they're advocating right for, you know, 50% income on some people, 60%. Yeah, yeah. yeah up on the high and the wealthy, 60% tax. Let's do 100% tax. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. So so the, the kingdom is split, and this was already promised to Solomon, right? And we say in verse 15, it says, The king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah of the Shalonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So he'd already prophesied this to Jeroboam, and this is God in his providence. He's using human sin for his good purposes. We've seen this all over, right? Mm-hmm. Going, going back to Genesis, that God can use evil things for good purposes. Right. So he wants this to happen. It's going to be part of his plan. And the kingdom is divided. It's actually divided peacefully. Yeah. So a, a prophet comes and says, basically, don't go to war. So Rehoboam has all, you know, all these uh, tribes, the 10 tribes, leave mm-hmm. the, the tribe of Judah. Right. And he's going to go fight them, and the prophet says, "Don't, don't fight them." And so they actually have a bloodless split, a mm. bloodless, you know, there's no, no violence in this divorce. So Impressive, to speak. yeah, yet, yet, yeah, yet, <laughs> and, and, and it really does solidify in the mind of everyone. This is God's choice. Yeah, like, oh, like God yeah. wanted no. this to happen. Um, so there, there's no doubt in their minds. And then Jeroboam sets up a false system of worship. Mm. So back then, and if, I mean, this has been true in world history, right? Religion and politics are very intertwined. Mm-hmm. And so Jeroboam is nervous that since he's in the north, but Jerusalem's in the south, that the people are going to go worship at the temple because right. that's what God commanded. Right. So instead of you know trusting that God who gave him the kingdom without a drop of blood being spilled, mm. that God could be in control and could figure that out, he decides to set up idolatry. Yeah, in the form of? Golden calves. Oh, we haven't seen this before. Exactly. Very familiar, right? Exodus 32. Um, And he puts one in the very north of the kingdom of, of, you know, northern kingdom of Israel, and one in the very south. What's Why a cow? Like, I mean, I like cows because they produce hamburgers. Yes. But, like, why do they like cows? They like cows because, I mean, there's it's pretty brilliant. It's pretty brilliant, okay? So part of this is um, calves were associated with Baal worship. 
So calves were uh, and bulls were a symbol of mas- masculine male fertility. Mm. So to put strong it strong like you know, bull, yes, yeah, strong like bull. <laughs> so he's what he's doing is he's creating a system where he's saying this is Yahweh, mm. but he's using the the trappings of Baal worship. Mm. And so what he's doing is he's actually creating a system where they can blend two different religions together right. in what's called syncretism, mm-hmm. right? And we do this a lot today, sadly. But yeah, we've seen a lot of the, yeah. yeah, taking yeah. certain aspects of this religion and saying, well, but I'm worshiping Yahweh, I'm worshiping God through those things. Mm-hmm. So, so someone could come to the worship of these calves and could think, I'm worshiping Baal, or they could think, I'm worshiping Yahweh. Mm. It's it's really ingenious for a political move for right? politi- yeah. politics. It's yeah. really evil in the, in the eyes of God, right? Yeah, because it, it's going to unite in a big way two things that should not be united, which is Baal, this false demon god, and the true God Yahweh. Mm. And he puts them, he puts these calves at different ends of the kingdom to create sort of a natural barrier for people, mm. right? So if you're going to go like, hey, we should go to Jerusalem to worship. Well, I'm going down south. Hey, there's a there's a calf right here. It's it's Yahweh. Let's just worship this, mm. you know. And if you're gonna go north to go maybe up to you know Syria or something like that, Phoenicia to worship up there. Well, we have a calf right here. So it kind of creates a boundary mm. for the people so that people won't lose people. Convenience, convenience. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. So mm. I mean, we see we see this kind of syncretism today a bunch in the church. Sad to say, people that want to take certain aspects, certain doctrines of different religions. And blend them with Christianity, right? And say, "Well, I'm worshiping God, I'm worshiping Jesus, but I'm just doing it in the in the manner, in the trappings of this other religion." Right. And God, I mean, you cannot read the history of the Old Testament and come away thinking that that's okay. Right. I just don't know why we accept that, other than that we just don't read the Bible. Yeah, exactly. I need to see what it leads to. I mean, as we'll see, it leads to literally child sacrifice. Yeah, which is. I mean, I guess happening today too. So, yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah, so so this syncretism is going to be fought through the prophetic word. Elijah is going to take up. Amen to the prophets. Yes, Elijah is so great. But uh, let's let's see a few things before we get to Elijah in chapter thirteen. So we're going to see again and again. We're going to see these prophecies that are controlling the course of history, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned. Okay, so so be keeping track of these as you're reading. I won't even be able to deal with all of them. Right. But in chapter 13, we see that Jeroboam is confronted. Jeroboam, who just took the throne, Mm -hmm. at least in terms of our text here, is immediately after he does this abomination of these golden calves, is being confronted and saying he's going to lose his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Like, just like that. And his entire dynasty. So he actually actually prophesies in in chapter 13, verse 2, that a boy named Josiah will come, and it says he will sacrifice on, on, on you... The priests of the high places who make offerings on you and human bones shall be burned to you. So he's prophesying to the altar. I should have said that, but mm-hmm. so he's saying on this altar, this thing is going to happen by King Josiah. So this won't come true for, I mean, a very long time, right. like centuries. But he's prophesying this is what's going to happen to the kingdom of Israel. So he's he's commanding or he's speaking history into existence, which mm. is what God's word does. Right, it's that powerful, and then. And we see that Jeroboam shrivels, he puts his hand out to say, take this man into custody, and his hand shrivels. Right. 
and he asks for mercy from the prophet, and the prophet prays for him, and he's healed. What a nice prophet. <laughs> but you're going to die, Jeroboam. Yeah. You're going to die. Your entire kingdom is going to be gone. Your dynasty is going to be gone because you've done this thing. And Jeroboam is going to become the golden standard. Just like <clears throat> David is the golden standard for what a king should be, mm. and Jeroboam, will be son of Nebat, will be the, the golden standard for what a king should not be. Right. So it's going to constantly come back to um, they you know, continued in the sins of Jeroboam. They didn't tear down the, the, ca- the calves. The high, they, the high places, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And then we see this really interesting, I always think this is such a fascinating story. So in the second half of chapter 13, the, the prophet who had spoken to, to Jeroboam about Josiah mm-hmm. is, is heading home. And this, this prophet, right, this is an old prophet, lived in Bethel, and he heard about what had happened. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and he lies to uh, the prophet, the unnamed prophet. It's a really weird, weird thing. So in verse 15... Um, so this this prophet lies to their prophet. He says, you know, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He says, I am. He says, then come home with me and eat bread. But the other prophet said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way you came. So he has he had very specific instructions from God, he's saying, mm-hmm. as to what he should do. Go straight there, straight back. Do not stop. Do not eat. Right. Do you know? Do not pass go. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it, so the, it's re- it's really interesting, right? So he's given this command, and then the prophet lies to him. So the old prophet lies to me in verse eighteen. He says, "I also am a prophet as you are." And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, "Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water." But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Mm. And what happens then is the, the, pro, the, the old prophet prophesies to this guy who has disobeyed God's word, says, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes out and he gets attacked by a lion and he dies. And then the lion is standing there, standing guard over his body. <laughs> it's this really weird thing. And actually, right. the, the old prophet honors the prophet that disobeyed by saying, I want to be buried in the same you know place mm-hmm. as this guy is buried right. because he's a prophet of God. So the whole thing is like, wait, what is, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. And really what we're seeing is that the power of God's word is essential even for those who deliver God's word. No mm-hmm. one's exempt from it. Right. So this guy who, who pronounced condemnation on Jeroboam is condemned himself if he disobeys God's word. Mm-hmm. No one's above God's word. And it reminds me even because he says the, the key difference in what the prophet had said to him you know, the, the, the prophet who ends up dying, he says, God told me to do this. The old prophet says, an angel told me this. Right. And, the, and the prophet decides to abandon God's word for the word of an angel. Mm. And it reminds me of what Paul will say later in Galatians chapter 1, right? Galatians 1.8. Right. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Right. Which, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that we should believe that even as Christians or even, uh, you know, you know Israel here in these texts, because it's the same thing that happened in the garden, right? Yeah. Adam and Eve obeyed an angel, fallen angel, you know, demon, you know, right? Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's sad that, yeah, the lessons are still not learned, right? Yeah, so, so this is the, the repeated lesson in this book is God's word is powerful mm. and it must be obeyed. Yeah. It must be obeyed. Yeah, and that leads to flourishing and goodness and not, you know, not... Re- you know, poverty, destruction, murder doesn't lead to those things. That's right. But yeah, anyhow. So chapter 14, we see another prophecy against Jeroboam and, and his demise. 
which ends up happening. We won't go into detail with that, but um, we actually we actually see. Let me see. I have verse eight. Um, verse eight. He's compared to David, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't measure up to David. He falls short of the standard. He's led them into evil. Yeah, didn't, right? didn't follow God's commandments. Yeah. Yeah. Verse fourteen. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, Hmm. the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them. Hmm. So he's already, again, this is the first king of Israel. He's already prophesying exile. Right. I mean, that, that, this is bad news. It's really gotten bad, and it's gotten bad really, really fast. And we'll see actually in the northern kingdom of Israel, which is also known as Samaria, Ephraim has a few different names in the in the Bible, but there's never a good king of, of Israel. Yeah, zero. Of all the kings, they're all condemned as evil. Right. Some are less evil, some are more evil. Right. right? And the guy who really t- turns evil into an art form is going to be Ahab. Ahab. Mm-hmm. So we, we can skip ahead a little bit. We can see, uh, we see a few different kings, but uh, we see another prophecy fulfilled in, in chapter uh, 16. Mm-hmm. Verse thirty-four, right? We see that um, there was a long time ago in the in the book of Joshua when they defeated Jericho. Mm-hmm. There was this prophecy that whoever builds Jericho will be cursed and and will lose their children, mm-hmm. and that's fulfilled in the days of of King Ahab. So prophecy is 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 not you know it's not a word that goes out void. It accomplishes its purpose. Right. So we're seeing that again and again. Now Ahab is peak evil for Israel. Mm-hmm. Ahab and especially his wife Jezebel. Jezebel is oh, she's the wicked. worst. She's the worst. <laughs> but uh, this is what it says about this is what it says about Ahab. So this is chapter 16 verse 31. Um, and as that, and, it, and as if it had been oh sorry v- verse 30. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. <laughs> and as if to, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So he's marrying um, a foreign woman who's really part of this just evil you know, Canaanite pagan religion uh, or, or Phoenician religion, uh, Baal worship. He's bringing that in, building a temple to Baal in the capital city of the Northern Kingdom, and he is building Asherah poles. Hmm. So he's worshiping, I mean, multiple false gods. Right. And it's just, this is an evil, evil thing, and this will haunt Israel for a very long time. So they've gone from syncretism, sort of, oh, you know, paganism light. Right. Well, we're worshiping Yahweh. We're just kind of mixing in some elements of... Now they're in full full paganism. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, so, and so, then our boy comes into the yes, story, right? Exactly. Finally, Elijah. enter the prophet Elijah. So Elijah <clears throat> starts off by predicting a drought. Now this is theologically significant. So this this drought lasts mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Uh, I think it's three years, <clears throat> and this is significant because Baal was the sky god. Mm. So he was the one who brings lightning and thunder. He's the one who brings rain, right? So the, the sky is becoming like iron. No mm-hmm. no water falling is an attack on his power and authority. Mm. That God is, Yahweh is supreme over Baal. And so Elijah actually goes and he, he hides himself from King Ahab and he's sheltered by this widow in Sidon. So he goes, he goes up to the land of Sidon, mm-hmm. 
which is actually where Jezebel is from. Ah. So he flees to, to a foreign land, and Sidon is the heart of Baal worship. Mm. It's really interesting. So he's there hiding under Baal's nose, so to speak, mm-hmm. and he meets this widow who has only, it says in, in chapter 17, verse 12, she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a yep. jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for and myself die. and my son, and that we may eat it and die. That's that's a, you're in a rough spot happy, in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not a first world problem. That's definitely a third world problem. Yeah, this is our last thing, and um, yeah, yeah, we're just gonna have a good meal and then and then go die. Um, and Elijah basically tells her, "Make me food instead." Right. And and God's gonna provide for you. So he's in a foreign land with a woman who you'd presume is a worshiper of Baal. I mean, she's in Baal's territory. Yeah. And he says, um, God, the God of Israel is gonna give you enough. Right. And this woman trusted. Yeah. So you have the king of Israel, right, who's in the land of Israel, who has God's word, who is disobeying God's word, and you have a woman in the land of Sidon who is obeying God's word. Mm-hmm. And it results for her in blessing. So the so the land of Israel is in drought, but this woman has enough. So, so God takes that little bit he, she has and he multiplies it and he always keeps enough there so she has food to eat. Yeah, and blesses the sun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No. And then we see that the son dies. <clears throat> so the, the woman, this widow, her son dies and Elijah brings him back to life. Mm-hmm. So he has that kind of power to bring the dead back to life by because he's, he's the prophet of God. Yep. He has the word of God. And then chapter 18 is really kind of the high point of the book of First Kings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the showdown. So Elijah in his fighting of this syncretism, this worship of, of Baal, this false pagan religion, he challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest. This is a really famous uh, famous section of the Bible. Yep. Right? So he, he challenges them with, let's build altars, and you can have your you know 400 prophets mm-hmm. cry out to Baal. And I'll cry out to Yahweh, and whichever God brings fire, that's the true God. Right. So that's the challenge, and he allows them to go first um, because he wants to have that great mic drop moment, Mm -hmm. of course. (laughs) So he lets them go, and they're, I mean, they are, again, Baal is the God of the sky. So if any any God can send fire from heaven, it'd be Baal. Right. Right? He can send lightning from the sky. Um, so he's he's fighting on their terms, mm-hmm. and so they're they're walking around. They are for hours and hours on end. They're crying to to Baal, and Elijah just gets some. I mean, just prime mocking, <laughs> like amazing memes and, and trollery here <laughs> happening from Elijah. It's yep. so great. In verse twenty seven of chapter eighteen, he at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, "Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing." Or he is relieving himself, <laughs> or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened, right? And you gotta just love the potty jokes, you know, there. But that's probably a good translation, right? That he's he's on the toilet. And so he's mocking them and mocking them, right? And they keep crying aloud, they keep raving, they start cutting themselves in order to right. gain their their deity's attention. And then at twenty nine, I love the phrasing of this. Verse 29, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. (laughs) So we have the futility of Baal worship on full display, but that's not enough for Elijah. He has to show that there is a God in heaven and that it is not Baal, it's Yahweh. So he he builds the altar back up that had fallen down. He digs a pit around it, puts gallons of water on top of the altar, filling the trough. I mean, just completely soaks this altar 
And then he prays to God, right? One prophet, but he prays to God the simple prayer, right? He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Hmm. And then it says, the fire fell from heaven and didn't just consume the offering, mm-hmm. but consumed the the all, every part of the offering, mm-hmm. right? It licked up all the water in the ditch, and it it melted the stones, stones of the altar. And the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Completely, and right? And so people fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They They are completely, I mean, this is... This is revival, yeah. right? They understand who's God. I mean, this is what Elijah just wanted so badly. And then he says, seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they <laughs> took them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So that's the, that's the happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> so these false prophets who had preyed upon the people of Israel, who had told them lies, mm-hmm. are destroyed. Right. And so you have this incredible victory, and then God brings rain back mm-hmm. to the nation, right? Again, that would be the point. You, if you were a Baal worshiper, you'd expect that Baal would be angry. The sky god would be angry because right. he just slaughtered all his prophets. Right. And yet God is, the true God is pleased, and so he brings rain. Right. He's Blessing. the one who's able to bring rain. So and in chapter 19, we see that Elijah actually has to flee. Mm-hmm. So revival that Elijah once doesn't come in the way that he thought it would come. Right. And so he has to flee from Jezebel because she wants to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it's a really interesting account. I love this story, but we don't have much time for it. Um, I, I preached a sermon on this not too long ago, maybe mm-hmm. a year ago. but um, So we do have that. But it, really what happens is Elijah is kind of pouting, mm-hmm. right? He, he wants to die. He, he comes to the, the, the Mount Horeb, and he wants God to, to kill him. Yep. Um, but he's going back to the beginning. That's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. He's going back to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And he's going back to the beginning of Israel's journey to say, God, let's let's restart. Mm-hmm. Your people are so evil. I, I'm, he's, he's discouraged, disgruntled, he's depressed. Right. He wants God to start something new. And God says to him a couple of things at the end of this. So he appears to him, you know, and there's, there's the fire, there's the wind, there's the rock, and there's a still small voice. But then at the end, he gives Elijah a mission. He says in verse 15 that he wants him to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. He wants him, in verse 16, to anoint Jehu to be the new king over Israel and to anoint Elisha to be his successor, mm-hmm. his protege, his disciple. Mm-hmm. And, and it says at the end of this, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the, kneels that, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, in every mouth that has not kissed him. Yeah. So he reminds Elijah that he has a plan, and there is a remnant. Yeah, because Elijah's all just broken right now. He's saying, like, everyone's turned from the Lord except for me. I'm the only one. And God's like, nope, I'm going to... No. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I have a plan, and it doesn't revolve entirely around you, Elijah. Right. I'm going to I'm gonna fulfill my plan with or without you. Mm. But he gives him a mission, a mission which Elijah will not fulfill. Mm-hmm. He will anoint Elisha. Right. But he will never anoint Hazael. He'll never anoint Jehu. That, that's left up to Elisha and mm-hmm. to Elisha's disciples. Right. So he doesn't end entirely well. Sad to say. But at the end of at the end of the book of First Kings, we see the downfall of Ahab and Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of accounts that I think are worth noting. So Naboth's vineyard in chapter 21 is a really interesting story. It's Basically, the wickedness of a, of a horrible wife. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Ahab is a bad dude, and, and Jezebel if encourages that, right. you know, and fosters that in him. 
but basically he sees a vineyard that's near his his uh, palace, mm-hmm. and he says that vineyard would be great if I just chopped all those vines down and put my vegetables there. Yeah, I'll pay him for it. You know? Yeah, I'll pay you what you want, but I'll, I'll ruin this great vineyard and put vegetables there. Yeah, and the guy refuses. Naboth refuses, and he basically. Uh, Jezebel comes up with this plot to get Naboth killed unfairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, a righteous man is accused, um, even though he's he's innocent, but he's killed as a criminal right. in order that Ahab can take his wealth. Mm-hmm. And so um, what we see is that a prophecy is given against Ahab as well. So verse, verse 19 says, Thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus, sorry, this is the, the command that's given to the prophet to go and speak to, to Ahab. Mm-hmm. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Mm. So there's a prophecy given. And again, we know that these prophecies, they are history being written. So you don't want this to happen against you. <laughs> and, so, um, and so we see this condemnation of him and also of Jezebel. In verse 23, the dogs will eat Jezebel. So this is not a good end. And what happens in chapter 22, that the book ends in a really interesting way, but that basically um, there's Jehoshaphat and Ahab are going to war together. So you have the southern kingdom, northern kingdom teaming up to go to war, and Ahab has all of his prophets come and give a word from God. Mm -hmm. So he's replaced the prophets of Baal with prophets of Yahweh that are all false prophets. Right. So they're all saying, oh, you're going to win this battle. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And Jehoshaphat says, you know, is, the, is there not a, a real prophet here? Um, isn't, it, don't you have any uh, prophets of Yahweh that can speak to us? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, there's just one prophet, My- Micaiah, but he, he only says bad things about me, <laughs> right? which means he's a true prophet. <laughs> he says the things he doesn't want to hear. And so he calls him in and he asks him, you know, are we going to win the battle? And Micaiah says, sure. And, and Ahab <laughs> gets really angry. I don't, know, I don't know if that's the tone he says it in, but he says it in verse 16, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so he responds with the truth, which is verse 17. I saw, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as mm. sheep that have no shepherd. Mm. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home. And then Ahab says, didn't I tell you this guy only says bad things? I don't <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> He's annoying. And so we see that the end of, of Ahab is coming. What happens is he actually disguises himself in the battle. He thinks he can kind of outsmart the prophetic word. Mm-hmm. So he disguises himself as a random soldier in a chariot. And what happens is they're actually winning the battle, and one of the enemy soldiers, as they're running, decides, you know, I'm just going to shoot an arrow just <laughs> randomly, you know, just up in the air, right? And it, you know, hits a chink in Ahab's armor, yeah. and he dies. And so, very, you know, it's unlikely. Just say it's unlikely, right? And of course, we see yeah. God's providence in that, right? Yeah, and he's bleeding out just all day. Yep, yep. And then he he dies, and it says. This is the, the um, really rough end of Ahab in, in verse 37 of chapter 22. The king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. So the dogs licked the blood. The prostitutes, I don't know why they would <laughs> bathe in the blood, but that's it, basically the idea here is it's a very humiliating Right. Dis- despicable end to his life. Right. That he'd be associated with dogs and with prostitutes at the end of his life. So that yeah, makes sense. I mean, 
in some ways it's you know, it's definitely fitting and just for him to be killed in humility that way because his whole life was encouraging Israel to prostitute against the Lord God, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird though, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so to, to finish out the story of Elijah... I just want to look at Second Kings one and two real quick, and then we'll we'll look at how this connects to the the New Testament. But yeah. um, we see the power of God's word with the king Ahaziah, that he actually is sick and he wants to know how to live. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this power move by Elijah. But so he sends King Ahaziah sends for someone to inquire of Beelzebub, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the Lord of the Flies. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's one of the Baals. And in verse three, Elijah says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the the god of Ekron? Um, he's saying, "Hey, do you do we do we not have a god here that you can worship?" And so he's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. So what's going to happen, right?" And he says, "You're going to die. <laughs> you will not. You, god God is going to kill you." Um, again, theme alert here. Right. And so Elijah's word comes true. And then in chapter two, we see the end of Elijah's ministry. Mm-hmm. What what happens here is he's actually. He actually retraces the steps of Israel from the conquest. Mm-hmm. So he goes to to Bethel, Gilgal, and Bethel, and then he actually crosses the Red Sea. Mm. And he, cro- or sorry, not the Red Sea. <laughs> he crosses the Jordan River. Right. He didn't go that far. Yeah. He crosses the Jordan River, and he does it in the same way that they crossed Jordan River. Right? Mm-hmm. He, he rolls up his cloak, he hits it, the waters part, right. and he walks through on dry land. Mm-hmm. So he's he's sort of symbolically reenacting the uh, you know reversing the conquest. And depicting what could happen to Israel and what, what will happen to Israel mm-hmm. in in the conquest, and so what happens is Elisha asks for a, a double portion of Elijah's spirit, you know, twice the power, twice the right. the significance of Elijah, so to speak. And uh, Elijah says, "If you see the you know me being taken, then then you'll know that it's God has given that to you." Right. Um, and what happens is in chapter two, verse eleven, um, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven, mm-hmm. and so I love it because God actually, at the end of Elijah's life, um, he brings his whole life full circle. Right, he'd had that fire and that revival at the beginning of his life, and here at the end, God is bringing him back by His power and and showing that His mission has been fulfilled. Yeah. Elijah wasn't perfect, but Elijah has been, for the most part, very faithful to God's word to right. combat idolatry. So. So that's where the story of Elijah ends, and the story of Elisha picks up, which is even even more fun. I think we'll yeah. get there next week. Oh yeah, exactly. So um, very interesting and very sad to see uh, you know the kings of Israel just kind of downward spiral. Um, but we always want to look in context of the true king to come, and and what's what, what? How does the gospel story connect with this part of the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. There's so many connections. I mean, one that comes to mind that's not necessarily strictly a gospel connection, but it is a New Testament connection mm-hmm. is James chapter five, mm-hmm. which says James five seventeen. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Um, I just lo- I love that comment of Elijah was just like us. He's made of the same stuff, and yet by his prayer, God uh, shaped world history. Mm. It's a good reminder for us. So that's one just, I think, fascinating text in terms of how the Old Testament sees the work of Elijah. Right. We also see a lot of connection between John the Baptist and Elijah. Hmm. This, is really, this is really clear, and uh, I won't look at, at all these passages, but just one important passage. This is how our English New, uh, Old Testament ends. This is the last book of mm-hmm. and the last words of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5 through 6. 
says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he says, this is long after Elijah, that Elijah is going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a mystery as to what that will look like. But we, we hear in the Gospels that John is the one who was the Elijah to come. Right. He was the one who came in the spirit of Elijah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't literally a, you know, a reincarnation or a, a you know, return of Elijah, but he had the same ministry as Elijah. And that was really, John was all about calling people to repentance. Right. Right? He was telling people, repent, flee from the wrath to come, turn from your false worship, turn to God. And he was making a way for Jesus. Right. They dressed very similarly. Yep. There's mentions of the, the leather belt around Elijah's waist mm-hmm. and these, these kinds of details. And John the Baptist, there's also the same details right. of what he's wearing and how he looks. Now they both like to hang out in desolate areas. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. And um, and they're always fighting those in power, right? Yeah. And they both, their arch nemesis was both a woman. For for uh, Elijah, it was Jezebel who wanted to kill him, and mm-hmm. for John the Baptist, it would be Herodias, right, yeah. the wife of the wife of Herod, who wanted to kill him. So and, who, and would kill him. So there's a lot of similarities there. Um, there's a lot of I think interesting things connections there as well. But oh, another another thing is the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Right, we actually see Elijah come back again right. when Jesus is transfigured. Right, which which you know, of course, we recorded multiple times in in the Gospels. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Moses and Elijah appear to be with Jesus, mm-hmm. and Moses, who's the embodiment of the law, the Torah, and Elijah, who is the sort of the forerunner or the the, the greatest of the prophets, the first mm-hmm. of the prophets. So the prophets and the law are sort of summed up in that, and they're speaking with Jesus, mm. the true uh, you know, fulfillment of the word of God. Yeah. And it's a reminder of what those guys were both about, which is pointing to Jesus, right. to the one who was to come. And then the last thing I think that is, is very important to, to notice is Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is a fascinating, there's a fascinating account where Jesus speaks in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's speaking in the synagogue there, and he, he opens the scroll, and he reads the, the portion of Scripture from, I believe it's the, from Isaiah. And he rolls the, the scroll up, he sits down and begins to, to teach on that, and he says, this passage about the Messiah is being, has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Hmm. I'm the one who's come to proclaim the gospel to you. And then he sort of gets a, a little spicy with them. Mm-hmm. He gets a little bit confrontational, right? Because it says in verse 22 of Luke 4, they were all marveling at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Mm-hmm. Wow, Jesus is, I mean, he's, he's so powerful and so wise. And, and he says to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we have heard you do that Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So he says, you're going to challenge me. You're going to want me to do certain things I'm not going to do. And he goes on to talk about Elijah. He says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Hmm. And then he goes on to talk about Elisha, who we're going to see right. next week. But there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was clean, but cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Hmm. And their response to this is they're absolutely enraged and they try to kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is he saying? What's the point here? Well, he's pointing to the, the grace of God and the mystery of it. Hmm. 
he's saying, he's essentially pointing to the work God's going to do among the Gentiles through yeah. his ministry. That you think because you're part of the people of God, you have this privilege that therefore I'm going to give my grace to you. But God's grace goes to those who are unlikely. Right. And in the case of Elijah, why would he have gone outside the land of Israel to a foreign woman right. and cared for her? Right. Or why would Elisha have cared for a name in the Syrian? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because God chooses to love people however he, he wants. Right. God chooses to give his grace however he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, so the, so the, the work of Elijah and the ministry of Elijah reminds us of the mystery of God's grace. Mm. So Elijah, great, great guy. <laughs> yeah, very, very fun guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll pick up next week and we'll continue on through Second Kings and uh, yeah, the uh, the the ministry uh, of Elisha and uh, it'll be awesome. So, right. join us next week for Daily Gospel. We hope it is equipping you to know uh, God through His Word and His Son Jesus Christ.